Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. just recharged our glasses um, with gin and French, and uh, we're all gathered as, as ever. <laughs> you join us in the snug. Certainly in the saloon we've, bar. We've, 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 we've left the saloon bar, we're now in the snug. To talk a little bit more about Patrick Hamilton, and one of the things I want oh, to... Yeah, hang on, no. John. We have on. Matt. Matt is uh, the Phil Spectre of the operation. is <laughs> waving a gun around and saying, yeah. <laughs> saying God for God's sake, it. reintroduce our guests. Uh, so it's me, it's... You. John Mitchinson, it's the excellent novelist Lisa Evans, the excellent novelist and short story writer Stuart Evers. And hello, is. guys. Oh, hello. hello. Sorry, okay. the, the subject Sorry, was, of the I conversation. Was, I was a bit gin and French there for a moment. <laughs> the subject of the conversation is the excellent, I mean, brilliant novel uh, by Patrick Hamilton, The Slaves of Solitude. And we're just, yeah, we're kind of, I guess we've charged our glasses. We're just going to, we're going to give you a bit of extra. Hamilton kind of insight or, or whatever this passes for. What I wanted to say <laughs> is that the, the, amongst the many pleasures of this book, and they are, as you will know if you've listened to the rest of it, many, it's surely the greatest Christmas scene. You're talking, we're talking about Hamilton as a Dickensian writer. I, the chapter 18 opens with this memorable sentence. Ah, that Christmas, that Christmas of hatred, fear, pain, <laughs> terror and disgrace. <laughs> And then later on, he says, he says about something about Christmas. He said, "The madness of Christmas is not to be resisted by any human means. It either stealthily creeps or crudely batters its way into every fastness of fortress of prudence all over the land." And what I love about that scene is the is the attention to detail where. They wouldn't ordinarily be allowed to drink in the lounge, but it, it's all right because he's brought Payne, some gin and Mrs. orange. And Mrs. Payne gets quite into it. The yeah. landlady gets yeah. quite into it. I quite like the idea that, that uh, Patrick Hamilton invented gin and juice. Um, uh, the, the Snoop Dogg song. I, 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 I like that. I like the idea that, that Snoop was 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 reading. Uh, Rolling down the street. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, reading Patrick Hamilton. And uh, thinking Jim and I just, I just want to... Re- I haven't read anything from the Slaves of Solid Studio. I just want to read the opening. Because as openings go, even the opening is superb, right? You see, I, I'm going to have to take issue with that. But Ooh. go on. You go ahead. Ooh. Chapter one. London, the crouching monster, like every other monster, has to breathe. And breathe it does in its own obscure, malignant way. <laughs> Its vital oxygen is composed of suburban working men and women of all kinds, who every morning are sucked up through an infinitely complicated respiratory apparatus of trains and termini into the mighty congested lungs, held there for a number of hours, and then in the evening exhaled violently through the same channels. I've just watched, incidentally, listeners. It's just horrible. I've just watched Stuart vaping in time to that, in time to that <laughs> particular... 
exhalation. Oh, do you think that's terrible? Oh, yeah, it's that's awful. I think it's just taking his metaphor too far. But you know, for bravura. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the first time I know we get told off, indeed rightly, for not finishing our sentences and overusing breathless hyperbole on this shoot. But I don't think we've yet had a bravura moment on Pat. You know what it is, don't you, John? It's a tour de force. It's the gin in it, mate. Yeah, That's what it is. Yeah. Um, no, I, but I think this... I'm glad that you brought it up because... Because um, <laughs> I, 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 I... Talking I, of I, tired old locutions, <laughs> Stuart, I'm very glad you asked me that I, question. I, because I think that that is a perfect exa- example of, of, of Hamilton being a good novelist, a great novelist, but not a particularly great writer because mm. actually mm. I, I do think it's completely overwritten and it goes on and on and on this whole kind of... <laughs> yes. He's read me- the fog chapter is, of, uh, yeah. of Bleak House. Yeah, and it, 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 it's, a bit, it's this big metaphor <laughs> of blowing so people in and blowing people out. But what is fascinating about it is that what it does, even though it's, it's a very crude instrument, what it does give is the idea of London as a living, breathing, um, physical... Mm. Um, like actual... Uh, with life in it. And what it brings is when the people are actually spat out down into Thames Lockton is, is, the, is this sense that when you get there that you realise that all life has, has ended here um, mm. that this is an unliving space a, a place of hiatus if you like um, and that all of these characters are just stuck in this horrendous place um, and I think that, that even though I've, I think it's overwritten and I, I, can, I can see why it's there because it needs to be there to show that life is elsewhere and they are stuck in this unliving place mm. and I think what I found fascinating is uh, about this novel and um, you know I, I think Richard Curtis should really read it um, oh my God. <laughs> because um, because yeah. in Richard Cur- Richard, Richard Curtis or any kind of um, age actually uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> but he um uh, but in any of those kinds of th- those kinds of romantic comedies, the Americans arrive, and the Americans arrive, and they are witty, they are clever, they are different, they are they are full of life. And but this American, yeah. this lieutenant, I find He's him fascinating. Dead. He's dead inside, yeah, yeah. and yeah. and he and his dream is laundry. laundry. That's yeah. his dream, yeah. and that's it's know, the smallest possible dream. Absolutely. He, it, and there is no content to his conversation whatsoever. It's mm. empty. And he is a proper, genuine alcoholic. Like, exactly. there's, you know, the, the other people he, drink, he, he, but he, he is... He has to keep going. He has to keep going. And there's always another drink. And, and, you know, when it comes out later that, you know, he's, he's even more nefarious than... than it says, you, I actually don't feel bad for him. I just, I, I just kind of want to give him a cuddle and say, you know, your, your, your life is terrible. And they kind of excuse him. Because they excuse him. Like, You're so nice, Stuart. <laughs> no, but, no, but, 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 they, but he, is, he is excused. I mean, Vic, uh, not Vicky, uh, but Miss um, Roach excuses him consistently by saying, oh, he's inconsequential, or, well, there's the second front coming up and he's got the, the, the shadow of war. But as the book goes on, more and more, she's, there's more and more stuff about the war. The war is mentioned more and more. Um, and this is a, you know, as we said, it's, this is a war novel. Like, like oh, let us not be, a bit, you know, this is this is this is a war is clear. And you know, and he is ter- clearly terrified, not only about the war and possibility of not of not living through it, but also the, of going back and being 
this yeah. laundry. And this is blood of lard. This is blood of lard. It's going to be on the beaches in, yeah. in, in, in a year. You know, yeah. Yeah. that's the yeah, most yeah, yeah. extraordinary thing. The second yeah. front, and yeah. I love the way he brings in that that thing of exactly that. Miss Roach feels sympathy for him, and then she also there's that sense that. She, come, she goes back to London and then, you know, the bombing is going to start again. Yeah. But I tried to find... Because I read this thing, Andy, that you'd said about the, the whiskey. I tried to find some drunk writing in the book. And I think I found only... This might be brilliant, or it might... <laughs> this might be bravura, or this might be just overblown. Tell me what you think... What, what, what do you think is going on here? Miss Roach looking at the countryside. At such moments... The countryside, stealthily informing her of its immense size, would seem, of course, in grandeur, wildness and stillness. This is Henley on Thames, right? Uh, 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 completely to dominate and submerge all things appertaining to men and towns and to reduce in particular to microscopic thread-like smallness the railway tracks by which these communicated with each other. The noise of the trains thereon distantly falling on her straining ear like something less than minute rumblings in the enormous belly of the enormous supine organism enveloping her and everything. It's almost no excuse for using the word thereon. I'm but, sorry. No, <laughs> by this adjustment of her sense of dimensions, Miss Roach's spirit bathed in moonlight would be composed, consoled and refreshed. And then she says, the train, on the other hand, which Miss Roach normally took down from London to Thames Lockton, had opposite ideas, so far from being aware of its doll-like magnitude in the night, of being diminished practically to the point of extinction by the surrounding void of fields, woods and hills. It came crashing on like a huge, staggering bully from station to station, lashing out right and left at the night on which the tables were turned, which was itself relegated to nothingness and whose very stars had less importance in the <laughs> eyes of the train than one of the sparks from the funnel of its engine. In the same way, Miss Roach's attitude was really completely reversed. And when at last Please she alighted at Thames Lockdown Station, instead of feeling composed, consoled and refreshed, she was invariably filled with anxiety, apprehensive. I'm it. closing the that's book yeah. now. Terrible. So that that is a terrible but passage. That's, that's and yet. <laughs> no, no, hang on. But that, that is but this close to truthing. You know, like, it, it's this close to, yeah, to, yeah. to, to, to exactly. weights, isn't it? Ooh, it's it's nice. this close. But also the energy of it. What I like about Hamilton's like, prose, even when he's not afraid to be gauche, <laughs> you know, he's not afraid to really try and push through that barrier. He uses disinterested as well. But you see, yeah, for, those, really. for me, those bits, I've forgotten those bits. Yeah, those, me too. They haven't yeah, been yeah. in my head at all. I think bloody well, hell, I, I, all I mean, All I mean is a man with a bottle of whiskey at night and he's writing about trains and he's writing... I mean, it... I, Lord knows what the editorial process with ah. Hamilton. Now, the editor- ah. 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 funny you should say that. <laughs> now, earlier on, we were talking about whether the titles of Patrick Hamilton's novels were any good. Ah. And I thought they were brilliant. And what do you think, Stuart? Well, I think they, they fall into two categories. Um, Hangover Square, genius. Right? Yeah. That, you know, that, you can, Hangover Square, I want to read that book. Slaves of Solitude... Not so much. No. What does it I think it's like a, an eighties kind of you know album, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. It's but the, like but a, the, but, but the Lost Bunny Man album. Yeah. Craven House, <coughs> great title. Okay, Wonderful. so most, like um, but, but the worst, Tuppence Coloured. Yeah. That's yeah. terrible. That would have meant terrible. something to him. You know, it means yeah. nothing to us. But yeah. Tuppence the, the, Coloured well, would, would have been thing. significant. Tuppence means pu- female pudendra as well as Tuppence. Yeah. Oh, blimey, I was. <laughs> No, I'm just Does it? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Mm. This is why it's actually this is like after dark. I was thinking. Press it was your a red button. Now. Pictures. <laughs> 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 
So most of the titles of Patrick Hamilton's novels were not devised by Patrick Hamilton. Get, uh, get out of here. Get no, out. it's oh, true. I'll go to the foot of my stairs. Yeah. Okay, they were devised by his editor, and his editor is a man who deserves his own episode of Batlist. He's a man called... <laughs> Michael Sadlier. Have you ever heard oh, of him? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so, yeah, so, so Michael Sadlier was the publisher at Constable, and he would often, his editorial letters will often say, Patrick, I love the book. Just one thing, need to change the title. Okay, so he often devises the titles for the books. The thing that is one of the significant things about Michael Sadlier, do you know who else he was publishing at the same time he was publishing Patrick Hamilton? Uh, so where, where are we? Constable, late 30s. Late, Constable, late 30s. Uh, Priestley. Nope. Um, good, good, good guess. Stu? Or, no, Orwell's glance. Um, too early for green. Um, uh, Let's po- just po- say somebody who wrote about drinking and could be quite a handful. Dylan Thomas. I'm afraid not. He was Gene Reese's editor. Gene Reese. Oh, oh my God. Really? Gene Reese's editor. Oh, oh my God. I'm the whole Still time. Just Gene Reese's editor on Voyage in the Dark. Easy and Christmas good... present for your clients, though. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and Good Morning Midnight. Good Morning Midnight, which we've done on the podcast, of course. And I was going to say to you, can you imagine the lunches? Oh, no. Looking at your diary Jerry, and thinking, well, you've got, you got Patrick Hamilton on Wednesday <laughs> and, and Gene's coming in on Friday. <laughs> What a fantastic thing. Can you imagine that now? Oh. But what were his titles originally? Do you know what any of them Well, they're, they're in Nigel Jones's yeah, uh, book, but I, I do know that Craven House was Sadlier's idea. Definitely. But I think Slaves of Solitude was Hamilton. I think Hamilton told Well, it, I mean, it's in, the, it's in the book, isn't it's it? I mean, book, yeah, yeah. But, it's a but sort I, of terrible title. It is. And, 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 because I mean, it's not as bad as Tuppence Coloured, but. It, it's both portentous. And it gives you no feeling of, for the characters at all. Time now for an advert. No, not at all. I mean, I don't know. Could you could you have called it Miss Roach? Probably not. But Roachy, Eni, Enid, Enid. But that's made me think Thwaites how Roger. brilliant uh, Muriel Sparks' <laughs> titles always were. And, and, and Slender Mean. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, and, and, and the that, Abbess of Crew. What a great and, title and, that is. And that a, is, far, a, far cry, a Far Cry from Kensington. Kensington. Yeah. It's, 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 um, so uh, there's, another, there's and, another thing and here. The driving seat as well. I mean, just, there's know, another thing here that I'd like to say about Patrick Hamilton. This is wonderful. This is in. This is reproduced. Everybody in should. Book. Everybody should read the, 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 It's an amazing. I mean, a I brilliant think, biography called "Through a Glass Darkly: The Life of Patrick Hamilton" by Nigel Jones, and he includes this letter. This is very Hamilton. He really didn't like abroad. No, he didn't. <laughs> right? He really didn't like to be a- a- anywhere other than He didn't England. like the French. He didn't like ah. the Germans. Here's his letter to his brother Bruce. Bruce, who loved France. Yeah, that's so sweet. Here is his 11-point letter uh, about their trip to France. We went to Paris, Dijon and Auxerre. Paris, I think, is the filthiest and most loathsome city in the world. I absolutely hate it from every point of view. I have a list of the things I hate about it. One, the dirty, filthy smell of the place. The cheap, restauranty, omelette, high-life, cigarette stench which greets your nostrils at and between every corner. Two, the revolting advertisements with which the whole place is plastered. A picture of a lewd, fat, smiling baby. Three, the peeling, grey, debauched rottenness of the slummier quarters. Four, the obscene, gurgling language which (laughs) italics I can neither speak nor understand. (laughs) 
And when they hear you fumbling with it, they haven't one-eighth of the sympathy which an Englishman would have for a Frenchman in the same predicament. They look angry and indifferent. Five, the Americans. Everybody will tell you that Paris is completely spoiled by the Americans. Well, if it is spoiled, what is the use of going there? Six, the French. Seven, the hashed buttery cooking. Invented for a people with enervated appetites which require tickling and are absolutely opaque to the subtleties of plain food. <laughs> Eight, the coffee complex. I cannot digest coffee. I loathe French bread and so I feel slightly sick for the rest of the day. Nine, the horse traffic. And then there's a long bit I won't read you about just ranting just about brilliant. horses. Just Ten, the noise, the amount of cobbled stones and drays and incessant sharp shriek of the taxi horns. Finally, eleven, the fact, this is an unreasonable objection, but nonetheless real for me, that all the traffic is going the wrong way and much too fast. <laughs> Do you know what? He'd get just, a series now, wouldn't he, going around the world? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it, eh? yeah. it, just, it does sound like a, com- like, a, like a conflagration between Nigel Farage and Geoffrey Boycott. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just feels like they've got together. It's like a ten-point manifesto. Also, this is also the point about... This is the thing which is so... Th- I love so much about fiction. He can write Mr Thwaites... Because, of course, he, in some ways, is Mr. Thwaites. And, that, and that's, and that's he, what I love yeah. about that. Can I do a bit? Go on. You've got to do it. <laughs> go on, listen. OK, fine. Well, we just have to have a bit more Thwaites. We have, have a bit more Thwaites. OK. Well, one phrase which he uses quite a lot is, I keeps my counsel. <laughs> like the wise old bird. Why I happen to keep my counsel. I happens to be like the wise it's old bird. bird. And, then, and then later on he says... I hate my dudes. That's all, says Mr Thwaites. I hate my dudes. And he is not, thought Miss Roach, going to add, as the Scotchman said. Is he? <laughs> Surely he's not going to add, as the Scotchman said. As the Scotchman said, <laughs> said Mr Thwaites. Yes, I hate my dudes. Brilliant. Yeah. So oh, I've, got I've got two things to add and then we'll, mm. and then we'll wind up. But yeah, the first please. thing I'd like to add is we normally have clips on Backlisted of the authors talking or maybe interviewed and as far as we know there is no audio of Patrick Hamilton talking but I would like to recommend there's a wonderful series on YouTube called Cummings Your Way in which a a gentleman I believe called Cummings maybe not uh, goes to a variety of towns and wanders around them and gives a little narration while he does it the one about Patrick Hamilton and about Brighton is by far and away the best thing about Patrick Hamilton on YouTube. It's only 15, 20 minutes long. If you're listening to this and you like Patrick Hamilton and you love things that are English in a sort of either cutlery, although he wasn't English, betchamony kind of way, Mm. Cummings Your Way on YouTube. Just just look for Cummings Your Way, Patrick Hamilton, and you'll find it's absolutely um, tremendous. I would like to ask everybody around the table... John, you've already said that this might be the book you've enjoyed most of any that we've done on Backlisted. I said at the top that I felt it was sort of Patrick Hamilton was the ultimate Backlisted author. Why is it then that Uh, Hamilton remains perceived, I think, as a cult writer rather than a mainstream writer? He is not talked of in the same breath as, say, Graham Greene and George Orwell unless it's to say he's often thought he's not quite as good as Graham Greene and George Orwell. But why is he perennially underrated? 
I think because his focus is so small. I think because yeah. he's looking under the microscope. I mean, Orwell wrote about small, ordinary things, but he also had, look at this range. It was absolutely extraordinary. Patrick Hamilton's looking at one type of people, one type of person, mm. one type of place. I, I That's think my you, take. I think you said it earlier, Andy, when you said he was a limited writer. I hate to feel, because I love this book, I really, I mean, it's been a total revelation to me. But I think he is a rebarbative human being. He's quite hard to like. You can feel that Hamilton would have been a difficult person. We don't agree on this, but I always feel I could have gone, I could have met D.H. Lawrence and kind of, kind of, you know, we could have had a, we could have had a... <laughs> a naked wrestle. No, not a naked wrestle, but, we, I, you know, we could have... We could, Hamilton, I just feel, was... <laughs> Hamilton was a... a I mean, he was a major league fuck-up. But the best of him went into his books. Yeah. And, I, and I, I think the best of Hamilton is, is, is in this book. I think, for me, I think the reason why he's perennially a, a, a cult writer or, or an under-the-radar writer in that respect is that he fell at the wrong time. Yeah. That his subjects were... You know, like Hangover Square feels quite dated when you, when you compare it to, say, if you are in the late 50s and you've got the kind of angry young men and women uh, people coming in the late 50s early 60s he's under the radar he's under the radar for most of that time and yet he's actually the precursor for for Mm. those writers Mm. those writers that with Patrick Hamilton I think that when I first started reading Hangover Square the very first book of his that I read I felt in the company of the kinds of people like Keith Waterhouse John Brain those kinds of writers who had meant so much to me in my mid to late teens because they were talking about people that I understood, that I knew they were in a space that made sense. And, yeah. you know, and Kingsley Amis, for me, I mean, like, it's not just rich people I, I, I struggle to read about. I mean, it's campus novels I, I have a, a <laughs> massive problem with. But, but again, Hamilton occupies two things which, which put him out of disadvantage. He writes about ordinary people who are not necessarily right. just in the, gr- in the gutter yet and yet aren't, you know, aren't rich or anything like that, but also the timing. You know, like people, do, do people want to read about the war when it's, there isn't a kind of a sense of impending loss, mm. even though that this book actually does do that very well? I think that there, there is an issue there where he's writing about the boring mundanity of living under an oppressive regime and, a, and, a, and this kind of sense of fear. And this is why this book, actually reading it again now, feels so contemporary in so yeah. many ways. That, I agree. That, that I agree. you know, yeah. Thwaites, for example, you, you could go anywhere in this country, and I, I, I go up and down the country regularly, go to smaller places, you know, not, not cities, and, but towns and, and places all around the UK, and... You hear Thwaites everywhere, mm. trothing. You know, even it's even trothing. You know, I like think, the, great, I think the thing. That's a really good point. I, I I would like to add one thing to this, which is that, as someone who is fascinated by the sort of ebbing and flowing of reputations and the nuances of where authors fit in the general picture at any given time, I'm totally I never get tired of thinking about this, and I was. Thinking back to when I started as a bookseller in the early 90s, and um, I was thinking about how much I loved, and indeed still love, Graham Greene. You know, Graham Greene was a very important writer to me when I was young. And I was thinking that what's so interesting about Patrick Hamilton is he was actually, you know, 
He was a successful writer in his lifetime. Really was. He was well reviewed and widely read, and his books sold. And by the mid '60s, he was forgotten. Green, who was still alive when I worked as a bookseller, was in his, through his lifetime considered one of the preeminent British novelists of the 20th century. I would be fairly sure that here in 2017, Patrick Hamilton is now more widely read than Graham Greene. I've got oh, no way of proving that. I feel in terms of a writer who's referenced and talked about. that's true no. because I think... I think, I think you'd be surprised. I, I, I mean, no, not even close. I'm I going mean, out on a limb and we haven't done Backlisted on Green, but Green, all Green's books are disfigured by... Catholicism. Oh, I can't wait till no. I do green because uh, I will be disagreeing oh, with you. No, no, I, disagree. I, 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 re I reckon I, I would I would put I would lay money down. I will lay down. I lay down fifty quid. I will lay down. I will lay down fifty. I will lay down fifty quid that the end of the affair and the power and the glory together have sold more than all of Patrick Hamilton put together all of his stuff over the last four hey, years. I've got the stats on my phone here. And no, you haven't. You, you have I'm not. Afraid, you're I'm so afraid you're wrong. I'll, 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 take, I'll take your money. I'm the afraid, I'm afraid book, book scan, book scan is not, um, book scan is, it's not on your phone. It's not on Apple's <laughs> phone. I know this. I know this. I've been through your phone. Um, uh, I did, I did have to, I did have a, a point to make about uh, about Patrick Hamilton many years ago uh, in Select magazine, um, the my magazine of choice um, during the early 1990s. There was a review of Dogman Star by Suede. There is a the line in it, and I and I always think about this when I ever think about cult writers or whatever. The line was, "When people have forgotten whether Smashing Pumpkins were animal, vegetable, or mineral, there will always be someone late at night." With their headphones on, listening to Dogman Star, and that's I always and I, and I, I always line. think that that's kind of the case, and I think that's where Hamilton fits in perfectly. Is that he will never be in the same rank as Green mm -hmm, or Orwell, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but there will always be someone late at night reading Patrick Hamilton. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah, a love. That's a. It comes back, you know, Andy, your love for absolute beginners. There's just. There are just some writers who get things. And the thing about Hamilton, what I feel about him is he, he fixes something more perfectly, more... And there's, there's no other writer who can do what he does. And yet somehow it's, it's like the brilliant line that Russell Hoban once said. He said, you know, my readers trade in used paperbacks. If you love Russell, uh, Russell, Russell Hoban, you give your copy of Russell Hoban to somebody else. I feel that's it. You know that bookseller yeah. kind of telegraph we had? Mm. Is when you read yeah, yeah, a yeah. Patrick Hamilton novel, you say, you've got to, you've got to you've read got this. To. You've got to read this. Yeah. And yet somehow Graham Greene is up there as a settled star in the literary firmament. I don't think Hamilton ever will be. Well, let's and, raise and we, a, don't, we, let's, don't, we don't need. We don't need him way, to be. Hey, yeah. Let's raise a glass Under to, the to. We're going to raise Under a glass to both Patrick Hamilton, to Backlist, and all you lovely people for listening through to the end of this. Uh, we'll see you next time, uh, somewhere down the road. <laughs> oh, in fact, have you, are we still going? Yes. God help us. <laughs> God help all of us. Everyone, all of us. The end. The end. <laughs> the end. It's kind of anti-tiny Tim, isn't it? Yes, it is. If you prefer to listen to Backlisted without adverts, you can sign up to our Patreon. It's www.patreon.com forward slash backlisted.
as well as getting the show early, you get a whole two extra episodes of what we call Lock Listed, which is Andy, me and Nikki talking about the books, music and films we've enjoyed in the previous fortnight.